Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 8 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, January 27th, 2021. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. After delaying a decision for over a month, when the Sitka Assembly met last night, it took another step toward its goal to develop a marine haulout at the Gary Paxton Industrial Park. For the next two months, it will be seeking a developer to privately fund the haulout project, but that now comes with a stopgap if the developer wants to purchase city-owned property outright. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. The Sitka Assembly and the Industrial Park Board have pushed to build a marine haulout at the park over the last year, but they've hit some snags along the way. A haul-out is necessary for Sitka's fishing fleet, and after Halibut Point Marine announced it would soon shut down its haul-out operation, many called for the city to fund a shipyard. The city was unlucky in its quest for federal funding, and its first attempt at seeking private developers for a haul-out didn't pan out, so the assembly went back to the drawing board. This is the second request for proposals the Assembly has issued for a privately funded haul-out, and it's been amended several times. And on Tuesday, the Assembly tweaked it again in an effort to retain city control over the property, at least until a haul-out is up and running. Member Tor Christensen proposed the amendment. It said that developers who want to purchase the property would need to meet a few benchmarks first. It's essentially it's saying that even if you want to buy it, you're going to have to lease it first. Uh, that we expect any ownership plans to include a lease portion first so that we'll get a chance to see them in action beforehand and that if the, you know, if we would maintain some control there. Developers would have to assure the city that once they develop a haul-out, it would stay a haul-out in the long term. The assembly unanimously approved the change. While several assembly members have voiced preference for long-term leases, the city is also accepting proposals to buy the property outright, which has generated some concern from the public. Member Kevin Mosier said he felt the RFP needed to cast a wide net. I know there are some concerned people about having the option to, to purchase in here, but I do not believe that the language as written and amended will uh, tie our hands, so to speak. A second amendment to give a higher score to the rates and fees section of the RFP also passed, and the RFP was unanimously approved. The city will advertise and seek proposals for 60 days. A committee of industrial park board members and city staff will then review them. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. Researchers have confirmed the location of an important site in Clinkett history. The Sitka National Historical Park has long commemorated the spot of a Kiksadi fort destroyed by Russian invaders over 200 years ago. But as KCAW's Aaron McKinstry reports, the fort's exact location remained uncertain until now. A peaceful clearing, a plaque, and a totem pole mark the spot where Shishkinu, or the Fort of Young Saplings, once stood. It's a sacred place, and I have been going out there for years when I feel in the need of strength. Louise Brady is Kiksetti from the Point House in Sitka. I go out there because that's where my ancestors died for this land and for us to be able to be here today as Tlingit people. The fort was built following the Battle of Old Sitka in 1802 when the Kiksetti ousted Russian colonists from a site around seven miles north. 
They anticipated the Russian return two years later and held off invaders from the fort for four days until the loss of their gunpowder supply ultimately forced them to retreat and abandon the site. The Russians then established a colony that remained until they sold Alaska to the U.S. in 1867. Oral histories and archaeological evidence like cannonballs and debris pointed to the clearing near the mouth of the Indian River, but some thought the fort stood in a different part of the park. A study released this week in the journal Antiquity has dispelled those doubts. Tommy Urban is a research scientist at Cornell University and the study's co-author. We did such a large survey, you know, much larger than the, than the area immediately around the fort clearing, you know, because we wanted to rule out these other possibilities that it could be located somewhere else in the park. Urban used something called an electromagnetic induction unit, which works kind of like a metal detector, to survey more than 40 acres of park property by hand over the course of two weeks. He also used a tool called a ground-penetrating radar. With the ground-penetrating radar, you'd think it, it looked like a, like I was mowing the lawn or <laughs> running a vacuum cleaner or something like that, and it's about that size. The technologies helped Urban and co-author Brennan Carter determine the exact outline of the wooden fort, which was slightly larger than the current clearing and shaped like a trapezoid. That knowledge not only has historical implications, but also cultural significance, says Carter, who's a former park employee. It has really, in a lot of ways, been a, a symbol of ongoing cohesion in the Clinkett community in Sitka to have that site available and um, accessible for Kiksadi people. Brady of the Kiksadi clan says it's reassuring to know with certainty where the fort once stood. She hopes the findings prompt more visitors to learn the history of the site and remember those who died there. Now we know for sure that this is the place that this happened and let's learn more and let's learn more together and respect all the history that's being taught or that is available. Brady says she's always pleased when scientific and technological findings align with oral histories. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Erin McKinstry. If and when cruise ships return to Alaska waters, they could be inspected by environmental monitors. That's according to a proposal by the Dunleavy administration, which has blocked the Ocean Rangers Observer Program, but now proposes a scaled-back regime. Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports. The State Department of Environmental Conservation is looking for contractors to do spot checks on cruise ships over a six-week period in May and June. We're going to get on board 100% of the cruise vessels that are coming in the state. That includes the small vessels and the large ones that have berths greater than 50 uh, berth spaces. That's DEC's Water Division Director Randy Bates. And that would include megaships with thousands of passengers and crew, as well as the smaller, high-end 60-person cruises operated by National Geographic Expeditions and UNCRUISE. DEC is committed to environmental oversight of cruise ships, and we expect the cruise ships to comply with our existing laws while they're in Alaska waters. The request for proposals offers $400,000 for marine engineers to inspect 30 to 40 ships. The money would come from a head tax paid by cruise ship passengers. But it's a fraction of the $3.4 million Ocean Ranger program that was funded out of that same head tax money. That program had marine engineers on more than half of all voyages. Governor Mike Dunleavy has twice defunded the Ocean Rangers through line-item vetoes over the objections of state lawmakers. Lawmakers like Anchorage House Democrat Zach Fields 
who says a ballot measure created the Ocean Rangers program in 2006. The very clear purpose of that popular initiative was to monitor and prevent illegal discharges from cruise ships. Field says lawmakers support modernizing the Ocean Rangers program, but wants to see widespread coverage. You know, we were actually working on um, legislation to update the Ocean Ranger program to include the, re the capacity for remote monitoring, that is, electronic monitoring complementing in-person inspections. So um, I would like to return to that legislation when we get organized. The proposal would also make allowances for monitors to ride along, but prevents them from booking berths on what are often overnight trips. One of the authors of the original 2006 ballot measure, Juno attorney Joe Geldhoff, says that violates the spirit of the original law, which seeks to maximize coverage of cruise ships. This administration in the, in the current iteration of the Department of Environmental Conservation doesn't really give a damn about voter intent. It remains unclear how many cruise ships will return to Alaska in 2021. The pandemic erased last year's season, and so far cruise lines have announced early cancellations, suggesting that if cruises do resume, they'll be later in the season. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. Alaska's Board of Fisheries on Monday voted to postpone in-person meetings planned for Ketchikan, Cordova, and Anchorage this spring because of COVID-19 precautions. But the board decided not to push back their schedule for next year. That means the board could be gathering in person next fall and winter for an ambitious schedule and multiple back-to-back -back meetings. The board regulates seasons and rules for commercial, sport, and personal use fishing. The different parts of the state are on a three-year cycle for changing those regulations. At a meeting on Monday, board member John Jensen of Petersburg proposed moving back meetings planned for this spring. I'm just basing on the most logical assumption that uh, this this year is uh, this spring anyway is pretty much toast as far as uh, how this COVID thing's going up and down and you know it, it, one day it's good and the next day it's not. I think it would be irresponsible to try to continue these meetings like we had planned. A Southeast Fisheries meeting scheduled for Ketchikan had already been moved back once until late April. The board also had meetings scheduled in Cordova and Anchorage this March and April. Monday's Board of Fish decision follows a similar one by the Board of Game, which sets rules for hunting and trapping in Alaska. But unlike the Game Board, the Board of Fish voted not to push back next year's meetings in response to this year's postponement. Department staff had concerns with the impact of that move on Fish and Game's budget for next year. Commissioner Doug Vincent Lang estimated it could take around $250,000 to hold this spring's meetings next fall and winter and said that amount is not in the department budget. And that's all for Raven News for this hour. You can read our stories again or listen to them as well on our website, kcaw.org.